Today's guest is a friend and an incredibly talented actor and filmmaker, Patrick Kavanaugh. He's recently appeared on Modern Family and recurred on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Patrick works with me at John Rosenfeld Studios, and he's the mastermind behind the Studios Film Festival, which is now incredibly entering its eighth year. I had a great time chatting with Patrick. We start off by sharing some really horrible audition stories. That was fun. Then we get nerdy and granular about how teaching acting has affected our acting. Before we delve into content creation, how did Patrick get started making shorts and what advice he has on how to get started? including figuring out what story you have to share. Uh, I also managed to sneak in my first Steph Curry Golden State Warriors shout out of the podcast. I'm really happy about that. Uh, Whoever uh, took the over on that first reference happening after the sixth episode, your bet just cashed out. Okay, let's get to Patrick. Lock it up. Very quiet and stealthy. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Uh, radio podcast guide you listen to a ton of these things yeah I mean I, I like to listen to like I love Sam Jones I think he has probably my favorite actor interview I like I just re-listened to the Javier Bardem interview that he did which is just as an actor it's it's velvet to the ears like it's he, uh, Javier speaks about acting in the art of it in a way that it doesn't feel ego driven it doesn't feel full of himself like a lot of like, it, it's tough to pontificate about modest. art without sounding like a dick yeah and he on every level sounds like a genuine honest real human being who happens to be an actor who happens to care about it on the level that i i like to look at acting you know and it was like nice to hear someone talk about it in a very humble way Nice. Okay, yeah. so we can check out the Sam Jones podcast with Javier Bardem. Yeah. While we're here on yes. this one, yes. welcome Patrick Cavanaugh. Hi. Oh, yeah, we've been talking. Hi. I know, right? Uh, I want to start off with the idea of, like, let's just put some vulnerability on the table just mm. to, like, rip the Band-Aid off. Okay, take my pants off. Um, cool. Okay, and just here got it. Go. Um, I would love to hear a terrible audition story from you. Oh, my God. If you want, I can lead first if you want to think about one. But I want us both to put I a bad one. audition story out there. I have one. Okay. you know it's actually funny it's actually one of my greatest auditions followed by the one of the worst ones I've ever had so this was like 10 years ago Um, it was for a pilot that J.J. Abrams was doing for I think it was HBO April Webster casting okay it was a it was about cancer and like these different storylines and and the character I was going in for was a kid who who has a strained relationship with his dad and and he ends up breaking his leg and he's in the hospital and he finds out that he has like this terminal bone cancer like and Oof. and the last scene is just this gut wrenching terrible moment with his dad and he's at the end of it it's you know it says sobs and you know I try to avoid the tear train but but put yourself in the right mind frame or whatever so I go in for my my first read with April I feel really connected to the story been you know I listen to music when it's usually sad stuff to get me in a mood and get me to a place and that last scene happened and I was so connected to all of it. It was one of those moments where it's like I went somewhere else 
and it just hit me and I lost it at the end. I was just like a sob fest without any destination for tears. Like it just felt as honest as possible. Like she even came around and like held me from behind and was like, it's okay. And like trying to me. call somebody to pick you up. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> She's like, home. are you okay? Uh, and so, and then she said to me, we finished, she calmed down and she's like, okay, cool. Uh, you think you can come back and do that for JJ tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm like walking out of the car. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I'm going to come back and slay this. Like this part is mine. I feel so connected to it. I come back the next day and all I'm trying to do is recreate yesterday. Oh, all yeah. I'm trying to do is get to that moment where I release the tears. All I'm trying to do is do what Patrick on Thursday did. Eat my day old on, bread, please. Exactly. It was delicious yesterday. And I get in there and I see Mr. J.J. Abrams and I just, it, no connection. There's none. And it's almost as if... I had never looked at the material. It was almost as if I had no connection to a kid with a broken leg who hates his father, who thinks he's going to die, and what's what's going to happen with this relationship. I lost all semblance of honesty because I was so focused on recreating. And it, I, I remember walking out of that room being like, it's amazing in 24 hours to feel like this assassin of an actor to then feel like the biggest fraud of all time. Because they were like, great, thank you, at the end of the scene. It just was gut-wrenching. But it was a good lesson, I'll tell you that much. Does it ever feel like levels in a video game? Where it's like, first you just got to like, can I just impress this associate? Can I do my right. job? Can yeah. I show up? This person seems like so important when you first show up in town. You don't realize the limits to everyone's job. Seriously. But then it's like, okay, well now I can meet the official casting director. And then I can meet the showrunner. And then all of a sudden it starts being people like J.J. Abrams. Or like, God, if you get to go in for Quentin Tarantino, yeah. if you are not regularly practicing killing it yeah. with a certain level of precision and like, no, I like what I do. I take ownership of what I do. I feel like eventually that's going to that's gonna happen. Um, okay, here's mine. Here's my here's my terrible audition story. Yes. This was for, I believe, a Lifetime movie. Oh, well, we're um, starting off strong already. Right. Okay, so with Sigourney Weaver. Ooh. So it was a chance to like act with an Oscar yeah. winner. And it was something about, uh, based on a true story about, I'm forgetting the kid's name, but a kid who was sent to like a, he was, he was gay and he was sent to a conversion therapy and he died there. So real That's intense Sad stuff Yes Mine also had a lot of tears Yeah And I was feeling like Oh I have to hit this mm -hmm. I was really new to LA When I got this And I was having trouble Hitting it consistently And I was thinking Oh every time I rehearse it I should probably get there perfectly And you know when you're right. new And you're like overworking it And so every 10 minutes I'm thinking I need to cry Right And then that's dying And I'm starting to panic I'm starting to futurize Where it doesn't happen And, and I get some question From my manager Wondering why And so I decide Well I've heard that onions Make you cry <laughs> And so I oh, like no, I buy an amazing. onion I buy an onion And I start rehearsing At my house and I'm like, okay, man, if I just like get a little on my fingers, and I touch my eyes. Oh my God. I'll start to cry. <laughs> and I like kind of figured it out. And this was when it was I was like the poor man's tear stick. I smelled like a Subway sandwich. So I go in there and I straight up have like a fucking bag of onions in my pocket. This is when I really thought like the industry was something you could outsmart. Yeah. Like if I just figure out no. the way to do it, I'll get it. And the funny thing is they've probably seen every trick in the book. Maybe not that one. I don't think they've seen that one. So <laughs> here's the worst thing about onions. I don't know if you know this. 
it stops working because whatever enzyme is in there, your body does get used to it. And like 20 minutes later, it'll reset. So I'm in the waiting room and they're making me wait a while and I'm nervous. I'm thinking like, I got my onions. Do I stink like onions? What's going on? Why is everyone staring at me? I got to be ready to go. Like, do I have it like on my fingers, you know, just to get to the eyes. And, And so I'm in the waiting room. I keep just making myself just start crying from onions as I'm just pacing, just rubbing onion into my eye. That by the time I get to the audition, I absolutely reek of onions and they do not work anymore. That's hilarious. And that's all I remember from that audition. So I do feel like, um, you know, I did audition again after that. Right. Which is without onions in your pocket. (laughs) That is the note I should have taken from that. No more onions. No more onions. Well, that's always my problem. I talk about this in class a lot. It's like tears for an actor feels like this amazing Mount Rushmore experience for them, right? They, like they become an actor when they can cry in a scene. Mm-hmm. And I can almost 99% of the time see it coming. I can see an actor wanting to cry. And I'm always like, guys, tears should never be a destination for you ever. Because in real life, no one ever wants to cry. It just doesn't happen. And we it, avoid it at all costs. My college professor fact. always said, it's just babies and actors. Yeah. That's who wants to cry. Babies and actors. actors. That's a great, absolutely. And so it's so funny because it's such an ego-filled thing that we've made this a tentpole of like, how amazing can we be? I can cry in a scene as opposed to figuring out why is this person on the verge of or having tears? Like what gets us to that point? I don't know. It's it's always interesting to watch because we are dealing with constantly the balance between your ego and and the honesty in the scene and and you do have to have a healthy ego to think you can get up in front of people and perform very healthy <laughs> you have to i mean there's no way around that but you also have to have a healthy checkpoint to be like okay now ego's leading the the, the charge and that's not good for me or the scene well the thing with tears too is i feel like they're actually more vulnerable than people mostly realize cuz crying in front of people is vulnerable first off you're like right. quote unquote not supposed to do it or whatever but most characters, they're crying because every defense they have from crying has failed. Right. And we need to see all of your defenses yeah. really be tested. You need to be defeated. And then earnestly <laughs> defeated. And then I need to see you broken. And like all that's left I is need that. To see you broken. I need to see you broken. That's the that's the motto of the podcast. <laughs> um, that's how you book jobs, guys. Onions and just yep. break yourself break in front yourself, of people. Bro. Break yourself. <laughs> um, let me ask you something about teaching. Mm. How's teaching affected your acting? Hmm. I don't know if I can quantify it, though I can say I think I'm a a much more intelligent actor because of teaching. Because I I can I offer this up to a lot of people uh, in in especially new classes. But something that I've been doing the last few years with auditions is I get to a certain point in my process where I. I hand my pages to somebody else and I then coach them on my role because what I've learned from being a teacher and a coach is when you step out of it, I hate to keep bringing up ego, but when your ego isn't involved in the process, you see things that you could never see before. So if I'm constantly working on my character from the vantage point of me actor connecting to my character to book this job, I personally tend to miss a lot of things within the story that are just nuances that 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 you need to to be fully realized. So I think from a teaching standpoint recognizing when the blocks in the process are 
are your ego, are your insecurities, are your are moments of feeling inadequate? Because inevitably in my process, I, I, usually before I pass it off to coach it, I usually have a mini meltdown. I usually have a fuck it. I'm ter- this is I don't want to act anymore. This is stupid. Why am I doing this? Like I always have that moment. And when I have that moment, I usually go, oh, okay, we're getting closer now. Yeah. Because I need to have, like, there's something about the struggle that's important to it. Because when it feels super easy, I don't know, that it, it's nice to have a bump in the road. You need, it's, it makes you realize certain things that you can't when you think, oh, I got this shit. You know what I mean? A big part of my process now is to still go through everything I used to do before I really learned what I was doing and see, nope, those things still don't work. Yeah. Like this is still kind of a bullshit run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now that I know what the bullshit looks like, I can kind of start clearing it away. And I, yeah. I don't know when I hit, I'll know when I hit truth. I don't know exactly how long it's going to take, but eventually you get this out of the way and you're like, oh, this choice, this was crap. I was just forcing that. I, all of a sudden, oh, hey, that that was honest. That's good. No one put that in there. And then all of a sudden you start kind of following that thread. Yeah. Like, oh, when I start from this place, I'll never forget when I uh, auditioned for Halt and Catch Fire, I was like, it was like 11 o'clock at night. It was a self tape. Oh I just God. taught and I thought this was a perfect part for me. And so I just taught. So I'm also feeling like, I know what I'm doing. Like right. I'm, I'm helping people and these scenes got so good and I come home and I make Kara do it with me and, and then uh, and she goes to bed and I'm watching it on this on on final cut or whatever and I'm like this is not good this is not what I this is all of my old shit I'm indicating right here and I'm yeah. pushing right here I'm showing there I'm acting twice here I'm holding on to the words like crazy and I straight up kind of had to like I had my meltdown and yeah. it's one in the morning now and I'm in the shower like silently crying to myself because I told Kara I was like this is a perfect part for me this is like right. this is great we know it and then after the tears kind of wash away and it's not like 1.30 in the morning I'm like, oh, wait, I get it. There was a moment of listening at the very beginning that I wasn't present for, and that when you start there, this makes sense, this makes sense, this makes sense. I remember like waking her up and being like, I need you to do this with me again. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And she's like, what? Wait, what's that? I'm like, I promise you, if I'm never going to say this again, but if you you wake up right now, I will book this. Right. She's like, okay, we read it once. That was it. Done. But I honestly feel like I had to be aware of every piece of bullshit to actively strip it away to then get to something underneath. I mean, that's, I think, part of what class is for me is becoming your own bullshit detector. And I think back in the day when Bethany and I started that audition class that mm-hmm. you now teach, which I'm stoked that you and Britt Brit do that class, um, because I think it's such an important class to sit there and have to watch yourself on tape once a week, if it's even just once a week, it should be way more than that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But to be able to watch yourself and not only not destroy yourself while you watch yourself, but also be able to say, oh, that's a bullshit for me. And you may be really good at being a bullshit artist, which is actually worse because a lot of people aren't going to see the bullshit and you're going to think you're getting away with shit when in reality you're not. And that's not the art. To me, the art is not to be the best bullshitter. The art is to find as much honesty in a moment as you can. And I don't think, I don't know. (laughs) Some people disagree with me. I don't, I don't think there's a hundred percent honesty always because of the situation you're in. You got a camera and 40 people watching and so many things going on. I don't, I don't think Daniel day Lewis is Abraham, Abraham Lincoln a hundred percent all the way through. Cause he has to understand technically what the camera's doing in that moment. He has to know that leaning forward means something in that moment. But when you can be 
as honest with all the elements going on, that's when magic happens. It's like honest within those constraints. Yeah, because it's not honest on. It's clearly we're playing pretend for fuck's sake. <laughs> like it can't be 100% honest because it doesn't exist in that. And I mean, I guess you could say reality TV is the only way to be 100% honest, but oh, that's clearly producing that. bullshit. You know yeah. what I mean? So um, when I heard that Daniel Day-Lewis uh, would send texts and voice memos to Sally Field, I was like, okay. Clearly, there, there, there yeah. we go. Like at least he's not right. sending missives sure. via like you a built Pony a log cabin, but that doesn't mean you're not aware of that it's 2008 or whatever when they filmed that. Okay, so we we just kind of talked on camera and auditioning a little bit. Um, what is something that you feel like you have learned about the camera, like acting in front of that lens? I feel like. We teach camera acting, and this town is full of it, yet I still think the amount of time that we are teaching what that lens mm. does to you or what you do to that lens, mm. um, I still feel like there's a way to go. I yeah, like there's oh, there's, a, there's, it's, I, it's its own art. It really, truly is, to understand what the camera's capturing and what it's not capturing, and what your movements can do to add or subtract from a performance based on how the camera captures that. I truly believe the best of the best are 50% organic and 50% technical. I'm like so glad you under- didn't say 100% both. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's not math. Um, Jack Nicholson understands that when he leans a quarter inch into the camera in his close-up, it means something. It's not just an arbitrary move. He understands what he's doing. He knows where to, to put his eyeline off camera Meryl Streep knows how to like half tilt her face so you can catch one eye doing something. It means something. And I think until you start to deconstruct what that frame is for you and watch yourself in that frame and continually analyze it, even from a standpoint of watching something and be like, wow, is that, how is that so captivating? Why is that moment so amazing? And a lot of the times, or some of the times at least, it has nothing to do with the acting. It has everything to do with where the actor is placed in that frame and how that frame captures the moment. And so being an actor, I think (laughs) it's such a funny profession because this is why I'm always like, make your own shit. Start with an idea, shoot it, and go to the end with it. Because you'll you'll gain a knowledge about the, the macro art form because we spend so much time focusing on our little plate. And, and we become selfish people in this uh, um, um, scenario, right? I want we, to defend that for one second, though, because I do think it's people trying to do their best, and they don't know what to do with a lot of that energy, and they don't understand where they fit in that macro. So that goal is very self-preserving, and it's like, well, I got to fill it. I got to do something. But it does end up being just kind of accidental masturbation. Yeah, well, and that's the the my issue is understand that you're a part of a process. Do you know what I mean? There's no other art form in the entire history of art forms that I can think of that anyone else has countered with that someone starts with a nucleus of an idea and sits down and writes the words and sends it to somebody who gives them notes who then recreates that, then sends it to somebody else who's like, I have a vision for this. I think I can direct this. I have someone who's going to shoot this and send it to that person who's like, oh my God, visually I can do this, that, and the other. And then we get a producer who's like, well, I'm going to bring all these people in and then someone who budgets it out and then someone who calls all the people and you bring in electricians and gaffers, all the people coming in, makeup, hair, costumes, now influence it. Lighting makes it different. 
different, you know? And then we shoot it. And then we pass it off to somebody else who like uploads it. And then we have someone who Color organizes all the scenes. And then we have someone who actually edits it all together. And then they get notes from the director and maybe the writer and the, and the influencers. And the actors are just like the tiniest blip within that. And then someone corrects it and puts sound on it. And, and Foley's puts in like cups landing on the, and your feet walking. And then we finally get to see it. But an actor is just, I didn't even mention the acting in that process. That's how much, it's not that we don't matter. We're the most visible portion of the of the art, but we're not more important than anybody else in that process. And I think sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times, because we're so applauded, because we're in front of the camera, we think we're the most important. And when you make your own shit, you realize that you're not at all. And that sometimes... You- they're making you do stuff within the frame that you didn't even realize from the yes. get-go and that your acting was, you were puppeteered a little bit and it's, and it looks great and the story's told. So that was good. But that what your job actually is changes a lot. It doesn't look, it is all puppeteering on some level, right? Because then the edit can do wonderful things or terrible things for you. That's it like, matters. We talk about giving a performance like it's a, like it's a singular noun, like it's a thing that ever <laughs> happened. I'm sorry, we're gonna we're gonna do ten takes from this place, and then we're gonna do eighteen more setups, and then I might have you ADR the whole fucking thing. Right, anyway. I'm gonna spackle it together, and some editor is gonna put together a performance you never gave. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like you might have. I did an episode of Castle where someone gave me my dailies, and I realized like, oh, I give them a palette, like I give them things to paint with, but they're the ones who actually like paint the damn performance. For sure, how the story gets told. You said, uh, "Get an idea, shoot it, do it." Yeah. How did that start for you? Oh, that's really because a lot of people want to have an idea. Yeah. A lot of people want to make something, and uh, and I think some people struggle with having an idea at all. Some people, I think, judge their ideas instantly. It's too big. It's too small. It doesn't matter. So how it does seem from my perspective yeah. that there was some degree of either ease for you of like you just were able to or one day you were able to make the decision, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. You know what's funny? I, I think it stems from a lot of things collectively, right? I, I came from a world when I was young where I was in a theater group that we took stories and over the course of eight weeks improvised the play and like honed it in and performed it at, you know, at the end. And, and, and I did that for like five years uh, from 13 to 18 and maybe even 19 actually. And it was, it was the most magical experience for me. Like we would, where was that? Uh, in, in the Bay area. Um, it was at Contra Costa college, um, in San Pablo, which it doesn't exist there anymore, but it was a, you, you got a college credit for signing up. Wow. And it was at the, at the theater there at the college and they would cast like 35 kids from 10 to 18 in, uh, for a play. They'd say, okay, we are doing Alice Through the Looking Glass. You're, before we meet for the first rehearsal, you're gonna go read the Peter Carroll book mm-hmm. um, and we want you to come with four characters that you're interested in playing. And you have to come do an audition with the characters. And through the course of that, they would cast the play. 
and then they would start to to the teacher there was like four main people and they would start to like break you off into groups and you'd start to improvise uh uh not just like free form improvise like we'd have a structure like they'd say okay a b and c need to be accomplished in this scene let's see what happens and they'd start to like write down ideas and then we would hone it and we'd come back like two days later and be like okay we like these five moments like can we incorporate that but then you know what i mean and as the 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 as it went along, we had a play and we wrote music and, and, and like, and there was insanely talented people. Like kids were writing, like composing their own songs at the age of 13. Amazing. You know, like one of the guys, Francis in the lights is like a really famous musician now. Like he was one of the kids in our, in our group. Like he's a, awesome. a badass motherfucker. So anyways, I, I mentioned that because then I went to college and did improv and sketch, which was write your own shit, make your own ideas, do that. And then I came out to Los Angeles and a bunch of my friends from college, we started doing shows at like a crappy theater in North Hollywood. And it was just always in my DNA to like do those things. And then I did a movie called Dorm Days. 18 years ago whatever it is long fucking time ago um, and I became buddies with the two writers um, at the time his name was Worm Miller but he, he goes by his real name now was his nickname Josh Miller and Pat Casey um, and they we started doing little sketches and Josh and Pat would write them Josh would direct I was in them but a part of the process and then I started realizing like, I, I really like doing this and so I started finding my own little tribe Josh and Pat went off and not they just wrote the Sonic Hedgehog movie like they're doing wonderful, um, but but I, it was a class assignment. I got paired up with a buddy to to like shoot a, a scene in a class, and it just started going from there. Where I was like, I need to, I want to make more stuff. And the first time I sat down to write something, my buddy and I that that had spearheaded the the class short, uh, were like, we should make something together. Like why not? And we're like, how about this? You write something, I'll write something. And we'll shoot both of those shorts and we'll co-direct them. And so he wrote a fun, very, he's very visual and artistic. So he wrote something that was in that vein. And then I, at the time, my grandmother um, uh, had, I don't know if she had just passed or was in the throes of, of Alzheimer's. And so I wrote a short about my mom's experience with dealing with a parent with Alzheimer's from a younger perspective. Like it was my, I was taking care of a, of, a, of my mom who had mm-hmm. early onsets Alzheimer's. Um, and it was such an amazing experience. It was so hard. It was so difficult to get all the, the pieces to fit and the timing and begging for places to shoot. And so the hard part is, is practical. It's wrangling humans. It's, it's, wrangling it's, is the hardest part, right? I mean, everyone says, yeah, that sounds amazing. And then when it comes to like the day, oh man, like there's a parade on Hollywood Boulevard. I can't make it. You know what I mean? It's like Cycle LA. On Cycle Santa LA. Monica yeah. Boulevard. Bastards. That was tough getting here. Um, but, but then you do it and you put all of your heart into something and it's not, look, it's not good. If I watch it now, I'm like, oh my God, that's pretty bad filmmaking on some level. But it's amazing filmmaking for someone who, just poured their heart into something. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how good it is. It matters that you did it. And then the next one was better. And then the next one was better. And I got to the point where I was like, fuck it, I want to shoot a TV show. I shot a pilot. Tell us about that. Tell us about the pilot. uh, What can you tell us? Well, what I can tell you is I had Dusty Warren, Mm -hmm. um, who is a a, a teacher here. A real jerk of a human. Yeah, he's a awful human being just really the meanest meanest and hates pizza he had made a few things for our film festival yeah um 
And I always loved his sense of humor. Him and Jeanette are just brilliant Remarkable together. together. And so he asked he asked me to direct. If people a want to short. see any of those shorts, what are the names of them again? Do you oh remember offhand? We can find them. Yes, we'll put them in the show. My notes. brain doesn't work like yeah. that. But I directed the last of the three, um, called Stealing, and it's, he just writes really good dialogue. And so after we did it, I was like, man, I'd love to do something else. And he was like, me too. At that point, I had made a bunch of short films, and I, in my mind, I'm like. I don't want to drop any more money into something that I know never will return the the money you put into it, which is fine, but you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I'd yeah. like to like get a little reciprocation here, you yeah. know? And so I had an idea for a pilot for a TV show and I went to Dusty and I was like, I I don't think I can write this. I wonder if you if you and I work on this story, would you write the the you know, write the words at the end of the day? And he's like I pitched him the idea and he's like, yes, I love this. Let's do this. So we spent some time breaking down the characters, the the, the main plots, and he came back with the, with the script. And, and Can you give us a log line? Yeah, but it's basically, it's a, it's a workplace comedy. The idea was not only from, from a TV making standpoint for fun, but also from a commerce standpoint, because I understand that that's important. The, it's a workplace comedy about like six or seven adults who work at a commercial casting office. Mm-hmm. So they're all behind the scenes casting commercials. And the idea behind it is the hijinks of the office um, is a normal office setting, right? We've seen it a thousand times. The hook for me from a commerce standpoint was every episode would always button with the 30 second commercial that we've been casting that week ah, so we could get great. ad tie-ins and stuff like that so we shot it we've shopped it around we've had some interest here and there it's never like caught fire yet but we're still it's still out there it's mm-hmm. you know if anyone listening anyone who fucking buy it um so we're that but it was it was such an accomplishment for us you made a pilot like we made a tv show and it's, a tv show that you could do 100 episodes of that is yeah, absolutely a, it's bottomless. a premise that you could syndicate over and over and and a lot of the feedback which I, I totally knew was coming was it's too inside insider baseball um, but my the flip side of it is like I didn't know anything about paper and I still watched the office like yep. who gives a shit it's just weird people at an office just so happens to be something set in the industry but I we purposely chose the commercial world because it's not the industry like we think of TV and film no. at all. No. It's all about advertising. It's all about the mind fuck of it all, right? The brainwash. So, anyways, I'm hoping it, it we find some some legs somewhere. So people are hoping to make their own stuff. Yes. And we can give them We have some, a festival. We do have a festival. The John Rosenfeld Short Film Festival coming up in October. October this year, yeah. October. Um one thing I feel like I'm picking up from you, tell mm-hmm. me if you agree, disagree, but if someone's listening right now and they yeah. want to start, what I keep hearing and what I also remember from some years I remember First Timers was like yeah. a really moving, amazing, and funny short film. It's all personal. That's incredibly personal. That yeah, was that was about, about personal life. Yeah, my wife and I, my wife and I had a miscarriage, or she had a miscarriage. I was a part of the, the process, but uh, yeah, and, and I didn't know what to do with it. So and so I that, wrote something. And that was, it was moving and, and felt so kind. Usually we talk about ego in this stuff and it seems like, look at me doing this thing. And that movie, I remember feeling like, this feels like a gift he's, they're giving us. Mm. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for the short. Uh, but all of it 
is personal on some level. You're talking yeah. about writing something based on experiences with Alzheimer's. Even the commercial pilot, which in theory is is funny and and so you can have some reciprocation in the industry. You've worked in commercials a lot. You yeah. know that industry. You know how to. You have a personal take on that industry. And so, is one of the the main takeaways from this is. Don't try to be cute. Don't try to be clever. Don't try to be spectacular. Just try to be you. Yes. Like, what is your to story start. to tell? Start to there. start. Because don't try to run a marathon when you've only accomplished two miles. Do you know what I mean? Like, wh- why not start somewhere very simple? Something that you know in your DNA that there's no bullshit. I, I know exactly what that process felt like to get pregnant, be excited, tell your parents, and then have a miscarriage happen and have to like reverse that order. Um, it's tragic, it's hard, and it's something that wasn't talked about a lot. Like, I just didn't hear about it. And I started doing research and I was like, oh shit, this is like one in five people. One in five pregnancies end in a miscarriage, whether you know it or not. But like, So I was like, we need to tell this story. Like, As much as I want it to be a happy ending, you know, it wasn't necessarily. The happy ending is you two loving each other and being right. able to continue yeah. on building a family. That's the, that there's hope. But, is. and so like going back to what you're saying, I make it as easy as possible for you because it's going to be really difficult to make it. So period. what's going to make it easy? Ta- going from personal experience. Personal experience. Then realizing what I, one of my big things is what do you have access to? What locations might be a little bit different than your two bedroom apartment on on Wilcox Avenue. You know what I mean? Like, what do you have? There's does, like a hundred people on that street right now going, damn it. Son of a, um, you know, like, I lived on Beachwood. Does, does your family have a farm in Montana where you could go shoot? Does your uncle own a, a weird motel out in, in New Mexico? Like, is what do you have access to that's just a little bit different than the norm? Mm. And it also is a way to not have to pull too many favors. Like, when you write lots of locations, Good luck getting a grocery store yep. in your short film. Good luck getting a nightclub or a bar. A ba- people write bars all the time. If you don't have access to a bar, expect to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. because everywhere in Los Angeles, specifically, unless you're going somewhere else, nobody's giving you anything for free in this town. So that's, you also bring up Los Angeles. One thing I noticed about my friends who made features, this is jumping ahead, but this is to their first features. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them didn't live in LA. Yeah, you can't. It's way easier to make a movie not in Los Angeles unless you got the money behind you. Way more exciting to everybody outside of Los Angeles. All of a sudden, Angeles. you're getting your bar for free. Yeah. And you're getting extras for free. Yeah. And no one cares about your permits. No. Nope. No one's screaming at you to get off their Doesn't lawn. give a shit. Doesn't happen. Uh, other things you can do are like don't shoot outside. Yeah. Because you can't control deal. that sound. That's a really tough thing. Um, no, I directed a short um, that we're finally almost done on, but it took us a close to a year of post-production because we were like, let's shoot day for night outside in the woods. Mm. And boy, that just it, easy. It became really difficult. Yeah. No, no, if you're near an airport, like how I sh- that, that Alzheimer's short, we had a location that was gifted to us through the Alzheimer's Association. Cause I needed a, like a, a, a living facility, a home yeah. and it need you know, it lo- has to look kind of sterile and, and, and whatnot. And it was in the path of LAX and I didn't know that until we got to set that day. And it was like, you had a 15, 10 to 15 minute window each time a plane went by. I learned to, that like, the first time something. I did this podcast, <gasps> did it at home. Oh yeah. No, not good. Burbank Andrew. is right over your head, dude. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right there. Um, you know, I heard this, uh, advice given and I think it's, I think it's real smart is, uh, whether it's your first short, your first feature, try to make it, uh, like a one set play. Mm-hmm. 
if uh, if you look at a lot of directors' first movies, it's basically you could have almost done it on stage. What did the Duplass brothers? What, what was their the puffy chair or puffy whatever? Chair. Like it's, uh, Reservoir Dogs, two sets. Oh, I never even thought about that. That's um, crazy. Christopher Nolan's first movie, which was on uh, Netflix forever, it might still be black and white, called The Following. Uh-huh. It's about a guy who literally just follows people on the streets and kind of like starts stalking them. They used one apartment that they dressed five different ways. So and it's smart. like just outside in there. That's, that's it. it. And then by making it black and white and a little bit of money for art direction, you feel like you have an entire movie there. Right. But I think, can you challenge yourself to tell something that's honest to you? It doesn't have to be necessarily exactly your life, but is deeply honest to you and really minimal in what the other requirements are. Yeah. And the, those of you that haven't made a film, I implore you to try. Just do it. Because not only will you learn something, even if it's if it's a colossal clusterfuck and you hate it, it doesn't matter. You've made something. And also, I there's not many acting schools, if any, that are giving people an opportunity to then screen on a beautiful in a beautiful theater filled with all of your peers on a night that celebrates filmmaking. It just doesn't like you yeah, there's short film festivals and stuff, but it's not based in one community. And we have a community that I feel like we've cultivated a wonderful, supportive, and inspiring situation. And and the film festival is a big part of that for us. Uh, and look, you know, people get upset. They don't get in. And I get, but that's part of the process too. Sometimes it's a no. I hate that no one's liked my pilot. Not, not, not liked my pilot, but hasn't given me money for it. I put a lot of time, money, and energy into that. And it's still been a no. But guess what? too fucking bad that's how it goes the nose make you better it does and i know why some people are saying no and i get it and I, if i could have gone back and reshot some stuff like it's it's a good learning lesson as well right Absolutely. you learn from doing you don't learn from watching and critiquing constantly it's so interesting to me is that the exercise that i think helps most people find this answer is the one they usually have the most pushback to in class which is personal stories oh yeah get up tell me your story tell me something vulnerable doesn't have to maybe it's not the best look for you in your mind. Maybe your hands get a little dirty in the story. Um, That's, that's the truth you have to tell. Um, There are too many actors in this town now for you to be telling someone else's story. You need to tell yours Mm -hmm. in college. We got this assignment called the perfect scene. The idea was you had to write a scene based on a moment in your life. And the whole point was, since it happened to you, the teacher can't say anything. Uh, That's interesting. It's like, well, there are no notes. It happened to you. So it's your perfect scene. Cast it, then you're going to act in it, and you're going to celebrate yourself, but you're going to tell your story. And obviously notes eventually kind of came in on like, well, did you let us see this part of you and things like that. Or even clarity, like as an an audience member. And like doing table reads is important. Mm -hmm. Get some feedback and be willing to listen. Don't yeah, but it. Just listen. Let it sink in. Marinate with that shit. You can yeah, but later not in the moment listen to people it, it people are not giving most of the times sometimes it's a little difficult because actors love to like pontificate clearly here we are um but most people are trying to help yeah and most people have really people are accomplished audience members they they're they know what works maybe they don't necessarily know why but their bullshit detectors and their quality detectors are pretty good and also this brings up a good point is find your tribe that you trust not people that are going to tell you how great you are because i think that's a slippery slope and not people who constantly criticize you have to find that middle ground with people who are gonna gonna lead with love but also have a critical eye that that's a, in a helpful way and not from a place of feeling less than there's that uh guy seth godan who talks about creativity and he gives the feedback of 
make sure the person you're looking for criticism from constructive criticism isn't a stand-in for your mother your father mm-hmm. or the teacher that or the director that never gave you anything mm-hmm. so often people go looking for a kind of a surrogate that validation they wanted at the age of 12 and that's the person who's never going to give it to you because yeah, you're exactly. fighting a different battle we are near the end i want to ask what? one question How dare you? uh i know i know we're gonna have to do it again uh because i have, i want to like at some point just go through your films and your imdb Ooh, and just like yeah. ask you questions about it so we'll do this again at some point um but uh, this might be you know bringing up something too big to do in a second but i I did want to hit it for a second what's fatherhood done to (laughs) your acting to your career to your out like mindset how's fatherhood changed you Uh, i'll lead you in a little bit more with this which is i think in la it's really easy to push off the big life events Mm. we get married later we have kids later we don't do those things we date forever and uh, we don't do them in part because our life is not set up i don't have the income yet or my career is not where it's supposed to be and i think those ideas are tend to be outdated for all of America or worldwide now right but I see it a lot here and I'm wondering you've done all those things uh you have a beautiful child um how has that affected your acting your career another tough one to like encapsulate here's what I will say it's been a very interesting beautiful amazing journey since finding out we were pregnant and now she's three and a half years old. Um, it's it was it tough. If I'm being brutally honest, be brutally honest. Like, please. it was really, really, really difficult for me in the beginning. The first six months were really hard. Was it just the exhaustion, it, or it was a combination of a lot of things? One, no one, no matter how much advice you can get, will ever be able to to make you understand what sleep deprivation is going to do to you. Like, there's just no way you can understand Did it. Did you kill a man? Did- uh, several. <laughs> um, but it's fine. Uh, it, man. And also, you know, I realized looking back, I move, most of us that are actors, we've left family to move here. We We've spent the majority if not all of our adult life and for some people even their teenage even younger years focusing solely on yourself and you you have this drive that's driven for your dream for you to be this famous whatever in your mind and even though you have relationships and you know I get married I have a wonderful wife we're a good team but at the same time I'm still like we're I'm going right I'm I'm me 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 like I gotta get keep going and then this human being comes into your life and you can't, you can't focus on yourself. I got to clean shit off her legs. I got to feed her. I got to clean up, up the vomit. I got to shit, run to the store and get diapers because we're out of them. Like those things. And you're like, I'm going to put myself on tape for something. It, that doesn't, I don't even, I didn't even care about it. And it almost, it gave me a freedom in my acting because I wasn't so consumed with myself. Now, this may just be a, a me problem, but I would assume that it's not because I've seen enough actors in front of me to know that it's a we problem and I only say problem because unless you recognize it it's a problem if you can recognize it and then start to like work with it it's not really a problem of course we're selfish people like how can you not be every mammal everyone is but even more so artists because we feel like we have something to give you know what I mean like that we feel like we have to express Uh, so for me having a kid has convoluted the scenario immensely. A buddy of mine said to me, 
a child doesn't make your life better. It gives it more meaning. And I believe that fully because better is a weird word. It's been amazing, but it's also given me a purpose. It's given me a reason to like have a, uh, a focus getting up every day. Know that my time is valuable. I put, I make pockets of time now to accomplish things knowing I have two hours this is it for me That's for today. It. My Patrick's time is two hours from noon to two today. Get your shit done so you feel satisfied because when 201 rolls around and I have to go pick my kid up, it's all her now. Like she's the one getting the attention. Her life matters more than mine in this moment. So I do think it's given me a drive and a focus that I didn't have before that I wish I would have cultivated much earlier because having a, a, a structure and, and a way to accomplish things on the daily is pretty paramount. And for a lot of actors, they just don't have a plan every morning. They wake up and fuck off and do stuff. And then you realize like, oh my God, it's eight o'clock and I've literally just gone to the grocery store today. You know, like that does not exist for me anymore, which is awesome. I love that because I will piss away a day. Oh, easy. Easily. Um, That great cliche of, you know, you want something done, ask a busy person. Right, exactly. I I know for me that getting married, I, I remember the... The day the wedding happened, it, I felt I was different. People are always like, hey, do you feel any different? Yes, I absolutely What did. was it? It was instantly my life. Oh, wow, this is so cliche. It's it, My life made sense. But it was rather than like, I had stopped. I had started to wonder like, well, why do I want this guest star so bad? Mm. You know, like certain roles you love, but sometimes putting yourself on tapes a pain in the ass. Sometimes just knowing that like, hearing that it's not going to go any further. It's like, well, what what, what is the point exactly? Right. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, because I want to, I want to make babies with her. Yeah, I want to travel some. I want to, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And so all of a sudden, the 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 purpose of the job fits into your life a lot more. And again, to, more meaning, right? It instantly switched from I live to work to I work to live. Yeah, instantly, one moment. So I don't tell people just to go out and get married and have kids for the heck of it. Don't do that. Please um, don't do that. But do like live your life. Don't wait. You know, like live your life to its fullest and don't think that someday it's going to be simpler, better, easier because it's not. No, it I don't know anyone's convoluted. life gets more, more compl- or gets easier as it goes. So I do hope people. But do that's that. a, if we brought it back to the lens of an act of an actor, I think it's actually a great lesson for actors is that I feel like I, it happens a lot in class when someone's having a night where they're in their head, they're struggling, they're beating themselves up. And I'm not saying it works instantly, but. A lot of times my note will be, okay, let's stop. We focused on you a lot right now. It's like, how about this? How about we give all this energy that you're beating yourself up with or, or, or directing yourself in your brain or focusing on your laugh or your moment or, or your, your big emotional burst? And how about give that over to your, your partner in the scene? How about gift them your energy and your focus? How about try to make them better, funnier, more locked into this moment? What if you didn't think about yourself and gave two shits about the human being in front of you. And it sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of times, the switch in someone's brain, it's sort of like, oh shit. You remember how to listen all of a sudden. Yeah, and it's like the same adage of, of when, you're, when you're feeling so overwhelmed with all your shit, sometimes the best thing to do is like, go volunteer. Go do something that has nothing to do with your shit. And then it gives clarity because you're not underwater with it. You're outside of it a little bit and you can see it from a different angle. 
And I think as actors, sometimes we, again, back to so solely focused on our thing that we forget that really at the end of the day, acting is interacting, is having a, a, an exchange of energy with another human being nine times out of 10 in a scene. Give your partner all the love that you're trying to get for yourself. And I promise those walls will come down quickly. I like that. We're going to end on one last thing. Give me 30 seconds uh, on the 2019-2020 Golden State Warriors season. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be filled with a lot of Steph Curry, um, which I'm total more excited about. in Vegas, over-under is 47 and a half. Uh, over-under push. You can't push on a half. I think they go 50 wins. I really do. I think it's going to be a fun... Let's mark it down. 50 wins. Fun, high scoring. They got a lot of youth. So the bench, whether they're great or not, will run up and down that court like nobody's business. I think Draymond and Steph are unstoppable no matter what. Uh, Russell's going to be fun. And when Clay's healthy, who the fuck's going to stop that offense? I don't know. No one. No one can stop those three scorers on the same court with Draymond and and Looney. Like, it's just, it's going to be all right. Okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I could be completely wrong and I'm fine. This actually is one of the most exciting NBA seasons like preseason that I've ever seen. My guess, if uh, if Clay gets healthy, they're at least in the Western Conference Finals. Mark it down. Yeah, I do think the Clippers have the thickest team, though. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, that defense on that team is beyond impressive. So, good luck scoring against the Clippers. Our engineer, Mark Winnick, has the biggest basketball erection right now that you just said that. So, on that his, note... He's Mark's team. He's a, he's a Clipper guy. My brother's the Clipper guy. I'm a Lake Show guy. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. Uh, Thank you, Patrick Kavanaugh. We'll do this again real soon. We're shaking hands. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and thank you to Patrick. If you want to learn more about anything we talked about, including links to Patrick's work and tickets to the JRS Film Festival, please check out the show notes, which is full of links. If you haven't yet, please consider giving us a review and a shout-out on social media. We'll be back later this week with another episode. Until then.